I want to continue uh, from where we left off before, looking under the sixth seal, the fifth seal just previously. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of the heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand?" Now we we already ran into this reference before. Quite similar things are said in Matthew chapter 24 by Jesus himself speaking of the conclusion of the age. He said, immediately after the days of, of those, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give, her, give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man or the banner of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Then he says, now learn the parable of the fig tree, when its branches are already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you shall see these things, shall know it is near even at the doors. Assuredly I say to you, this generation will not pass away by any means until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus is speaking about the acceleration of the birth pangs in Matthew 24, and he tells us we're getting to that point where a particular generation will see those things, and when they see them, that generation will not die until all the things that are spoken will be fulfilled or have been fulfilled. So you see an absolute commonality between 
these things spoken here uh, in, in Revelation, uh, the, seventh, uh, the end of the sixth chapter going on into the seventh. Um, I want to br- and, and the correlation between that and the prophetic utterances of Jesus telling us as a time marker when you see those things being uh, or taking place. Um, now I want to bring in one other piece of scripture because it speaks of shaking, great earthquake, the winds of heaven, and the like. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 22, it says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. Now in connection to that, he says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks, who speaks. For if they did not escape, who refuse him who spoke on earth, much more shall they not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice shook the earth, but now has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made or constructed, that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving, that's present continuous tense, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." Now in all three passages, Jesus is speaking about that day in which the end of the time for the repentance and turning of man on the earth happens. But he uses this highly symbolic language and says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now again, and then he says, then the Son of Man will appear. Here we are looking at, again, symbolic language that speak of enlightenment. The sun was to light the day, the, the moon was to light the night, and as such they're used to define illumination, illumination that prevents people from walking in darkness. Now in the book of 2 Thessalonians, when these matters are spoken to regarding the return of the Lord, it says that He will come as a thief in the night, a thief in the night. But it goes on to say, but you are not of the night or of the darkness, 
that the day should overtake you as a thief. This is from, uh, uh, there actually references in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians in which he says to some, uh, here in 2nd Thessalonians chapter 5, concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you know perfectly well that the day of the Lord so come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep, which is to lack vigilance, uh, as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, drunk at night. But let us now put, up, put who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and, and, and so on. So what is he really telling us in this highly cryptic, cryptic and symbolic language? He's explaining to us the darkness that will come upon the earth in the close of the age. And that darkness relates very directly to the fact that the absence of the Word of God, the famine for the Word of God, <coughs> pardon me, will come. So men will walk in the darkness typified by the brutality with which they treated the saints. See, the, the earth will be guilty of the shedding of the blood of the saints. Imagine this, the nation of Israel existed for a single purpose. That purpose was to bring the Messiah into the earth. When the Messiah came, when Christ Jesus, the Lord came, the nation of Israel, even though it had been into a Babylonian captivity for ignoring the requirements of the law and had been restored from captivity, from that time of Babylonian captivity, fell right back into the preservation of its its thoughts, its ideas, its views. One only has to read the book of Ezekiel, who was still who still remained in Israel and in Jerusalem, even after the first wave of captives were taken to Babylon and were quartered by the river Chabah. And one only has to read the first uh, ten chapters of the book of Ezekiel um, to see what was going on and the, the mindset of Israel prior to them being taken into captivity. God did everything He could to warn and warn again and then warn some more, but they would not listen. 
So they were taken into captivity. When they returned from Babylonian captivity under Ezra, Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, and they resettled the land and the prophecy shifted to the coming of the Messiah, foundationally there was a shift, even in the book of Zechariah, Uh, the reference to the two sons of oil which we'll encounter further on, the two candlesticks and the uh, the two sons of oil which we'll encounter further on in the book of uh, of Revelation. Uh, Zechariah wrote of these two things and spoke about the positioning of Israel to receive the Messiah. So God's intent was, although they had been gone through the purgation of the Babylonian captivity, when they came back there should have been a reset of the mind, of the mindset. And God foundationed their return upon uh, the, the prophetic emphasis of the coming of the Messiah, again evidenced by the two golden candlesticks and the two olive trees seen in Zechariah's vision. Anyway, but by the time the Messiah came, they were back in the same mindset as they were in prior to being taken into captivity, so much so that the one for whose existence they lived, their whole purpose was bound up in the coming of the seed. Apart from that, the nation had no purpose. They were the recipients of two promises that God gave to Abraham. Number one, God would make a great nation of them. But then there were other great nations. The Greeks were a great nation, the Romans an even greater nation, the Babylonians, they took them into captivity. So a great nation, was not a promise in and of itself that was distinct. But God said, I'll make of you a great nation. But what made that promise valid and what has allowed for the continuity of the nation of Israel has been the second part of the promise, and in thy seed who is Christ. God's promise to Abraham, in Abraham's seed, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So a shoot came out of the stump of Jesse, who in turn came from the tribe of Judah. That seed was, as I said in the last broadcast, the Son of God, from whom God intended to bring many sons to glory. Now, After the darkness descended upon the Jews, again so much so that they killed the very one with whom their own identities and purposes as a nation were thoroughly bound up, when they killed him, the Romans came and took them away and they were gone from the land of Israel until 1948. These things are powerful things. When darkness comes upon a nation, it invites the wrath of God. 
when darkness comes upon the world, the darkness came upon the Jews, but darkness had been upon the earth. In that sense, the Jews are not unique, they just fell in with the rest of what was going on in the earth. But there'll come a time in the earth then that Jesus prophesied uh, that was referenced in the books of Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah that would come where darkness would come upon the whole earth. That is what is typified by the idea of the sun being darkened like, uh, and it referenced a sackcloth of hair which was, uh, it's a reference to a type of, uh, a type of wool which unlike uh, material that would allow for, for light to shine through, it made things so dark that you couldn't see. Um, it, it's, uh, anyway, Jesus prophesied the same thing. And when we go to the books of both Hebrews and 1 Thessalonians, which are not, not apocryphal books, or they're not, they're not books that, where the, where, that are primarily books of hidden prophecy. They're plainly, plain speaking, uh, the writer uh, who, who speaks in Hebrews and the writer who speaks in, and Paul who speaks in 1 Thessalonians, they speak plainly. They say that it's a question of light. You're not of the night. Well, there was even night, there was even light in the night. The sun was given to rule the day or to light the day, and the moon was given to light the night. So when the sun becomes dark as sackcloth of hair, it's not necessarily speaking of an eclipse of the sun at noonday, although I would not be surprised that because the sun, the moon, and the stars are put in the heavens to symbolize signs and seasons and for days and years, we can't exclusively look to such signs in the heavens above as maybe um, eclipses of the sun and the moon, even though I'm not, uh, I'm not discounting the fact that those signs will occur. However, the greatest sign to the believer is the darkness upon the face of the earth. And that darkness will, will bring in what um, W. B. Yeats in his poem, The Second Coming, referred to as this blood-dimmed tide. In other words, like, like the plague of Egypt where the waters turned to blood, a, a symbol that, that bloodshed or the persecution of the saints, great suffering, upon the people of God will happen at that time. Um, because, and here again, we're not speaking so much about killings um, and the shedding of blood as much as we're talking about 
the rejection of the Word of God. Now, it is why the people of God will nevertheless prosper in this time. There are two reasons. The first is that God intends to support and sustain His people in that time and the other reason is He means to show them, to show how they go through these times relying on the Lord and He means to use them to describe how things ought to be in the earth, how the government of God is different from the governments of the earth, how the ways of God are more beneficial uh, and men would be able to resolve the problems that, for which there are no, no other forms of resolution available at the time. Problems such as racism, problems such as sexism, the disparity in wealth, the oppression of the poor uh, and the like. These issues are being solved and have been solved and the solutions will become complete and functional and put on display in the Kingdom of God. While that is going on, and so we walk in the light, we're not in the darkness, we're not drunk as in being oblivious to the leading of the Holy Spirit like the rest of the world is in the time of the, rest- of the removal of the restrainer. We're not like that. Instead, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be destroyed and the evidence that we are receiving, not that God is giving, He's giving, but that we are receiving that which is given. It's both. God gives it, we have to receive it. When we receive that which God gives us, which is a kingdom, and the evidence of our reception of that kingdom is that we worship God acceptably with reverence and awe because it's patently obvious to us that God, sovereign as He is, is now providing an alternative, a way of escape if you like, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So in this very tumultuous and turbulent time, the beginnings of which I am convinced we're now entering, like the beginnings of sorrows. What we are to expect on one side is gross darkness, where not only the minds of men are darkened, typified by the sun not giving its light, the moon, uh, not, uh, the moon being like blood, opaque, uh, the stars falling from the heavens, which in my understanding we will see people of prominence falling rapidly, both those who claim to be of Christ and people in the world. These are the stars here, Asterios or uh, Asta in, in, uh, in Latin. These are the references not just to the physical stars, like the sun, moon, and the sun and the moon are not just references to the actual sun and moon, 
but to light, light for the day, light for the night. The stars that fall from their their places of honor uh, are also an indication of the, 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 the way that systems and perceptions and pretenses and positions that, 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 that God did not establish but that man took for themselves both in the church and in the world that those are being eroded and there's no security in any of it. I watched in recent times as one of the leading evangelicals uh, was found, was photographed on a yacht with uh, uh, his arm around uh, his wife's secretary by his telling, uh, with a drink in his hand and with uh, his, his, the zipper of his pants undone, exposing his underwear. And this is the son of the founder of this evangelical movement called the moral majority. Even his university could not endure the hypocrisy of the man's behavior. It's quite obvious that stars are falling. Before that, one who uttered words like, as a prophet of God, I command the COVID-19 to be gone and blew in the direction of the camera. And his state, the state of Texas, for a time became the epicenter and his city for a time became the epicenter of the virus months after his blowing in that direction. The stars are falling and many more will not just in the church, in in and amongst the evangelicals. We've seen the falling of many already in other expressions of Christian religion and it'll continue. Mark my words, it will continue. These uh, high-profile people who brought themselves to places of prominence. God never brought them here. The people brought them here and they brought themselves. In this environment, the false is being taken away so rapidly as to turn your head. But don't forget at the same time there is such a phenomenal increase in revelation and wisdom as the kingdom makes its greater appearance here among us who believe and who have been beheaded for the witness of Christ. These things will so distress the earth that men will look for escapes because their faith, their ability to hold things together will be so distressed. Even among the kings of the earth and rich men and commanders and mighty men and ordinary people, slaves and free, 
will hide themselves, will, will look for investment opportunities that they can rely on and they'll find none. Men's hearts will fail them for fear and many will recognize that these are the doings of the one who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. This is a time to be sober, to be of the day, to walk out of the darkness, come into the light. Listen, listen, God is not mocked. The only person who may be mocked is you. If you know the truth, if you've heard these things, but you say, ah, another time, no thank you. I don't, this is not for me. Mark my words. These things will come back to haunt you. I'm not trying to scare you. The times are scary enough. This is not a time to continue to seek out how you can remain in charge. This is not even a time when things are going to go back to normal. These things have been prophesied and I went through the prophetic list to show you they are not just revelation and obscure, they're not just from the book of Revelation and obscure, they were spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself in Matthew 24, they were spoken in the book of Hebrews about a kingdom that cannot be shaken in these times and they were spoken in the book of, uh, of 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians by Paul who tells us these things will accompany the day of the return of the Lord and we are in the beginnings of sorrows for those days. The end is not yet, there's a whole lot more to come before the end comes. This is not a time to be dancing on the edge of commitment to, to Christ, this is not a time to play the fool. Hear me, these are serious times. This is not a time to continue to be deceived by witless preachers who in the midst of what's going on, a pandemic and chaos, are still trying to find a few things they could rely on to keep going in the way that they have. What utter folly! This is like wanting a stateroom on the Titanic after it struck the iceberg. You're not doing me a favor by believing these things and by seeking God earnestly. When you hear things that have disclosed the error of your thinking, why are you trying to defend those things? This is a time when the books are being opened, when the scrolls are being opened. This is a time of unprecedented revelation but not for those who do not have eyes to see or ears to hear. If your hope is in things going back to normal, I would warn you that that's the direction that, will, that is as fruitless 
as you can imagine and you're simply wasting time and foregoing opportunity. In the next broadcast, I will talk about what happened after these distresses and the scene in heaven where God gathers up a holy nation from among the peoples of the earth. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue then. Bye-bye.